exciting to see what's going to happen next as Russia has permanently planted themselves in the Middle East um, and they're not going to go back home anytime soon, if ever. Um, we see Syria ramping and everybody ramping up. Um, look up for our redemption draws near. It's very close. So exciting stuff and we get to live in it and get to see it. So besides all that, First Corinthians 10, Paul writes to this wonderful church and I say wonderful because they are, they're believers, they love Jesus, but boy, they got a lot to learn. And, uh, you know, sometimes we forget, you know, uh, just how new these folks were. Christianity, brand new on the block here. And um, these folks are just coming out of some serious idolatry, some uh, idolatry that you've never and we've never probably seen or experienced before on such an outward, open level. Maybe we have secret sins, maybe we have hidden things like this, but not right out there in the streets like the Corinthians have. Um, we're getting back to that, unfortunately. This, this book to the Corinthians, this letter to the Corinthians is becoming more and more um, realistic um, than 50 years ago, for sure. But for us, as we go through this, and God teaches us by the Holy Spirit through what he wrote through Paul, um, there's some things in our own hearts, um, maybe more personal, maybe things that God needs to touch, um, get your attention in, get my attention in. Um, we can coast for a long period of time as Christians thinking, well, I've got it. Um, but then we run across things like chapter 10 and we begin to think, well, maybe I've got some of these hidden in my heart or that are starting to take root or starting to branch out or bear fruit. And um, that's for us. You know, as we sang the song about the Holy Spirit tonight, and J.C. alluded to that in his prayer, um, it's very important we walk in the Spirit. Things we, um, decisions and, and forks in the road in our lives that we don't think matter much to God, really do. They really do. Um, maybe not that specific fork, but the road that it puts you on is going to make a, a serious difference in your walk. And so prayer and being led by God, so important. And Paul tries to relate that to the Corinthian church here in chapter 10. Let's them know it's not about that one-time event when you were born again, and then you just kind of go on with life. It's a walk with the Lord. It's a constant conversation with Jesus. It's a constant leading, following your shepherd. Um, and so he tries to get that across. In verse 1, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food um, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And that's our first break. He doesn't want these folks to be ignorant, to forget about what happened to the nation of Israel, because they're our example. They're always an example of what God would do for a, a nation that would allow him to be their God and they would be his people. But they saw a lot of rebellion. Um, and a lot of them perished in the wilderness because of their rebellion. And so God shows them in chapter 10 that they were all in that cloud. That cloud we think of as a pillar of cloud because that's how it's described, or a pillar of fire. Um, but that pillar of cloud spread out. It was actually a covering. It was a cloud covering over them. As you're walking through the desert, you appreciate the clouds. <laughs> Um, hot sun beating down on you in the daytime when you're underneath that cloud. And that's a picture 
Um, not only was it a, a guidance for people, but it was a protection also. And it's something as Christians in 2017, we really need to get a hold of in our hearts. We really have to know that God's direction is our protection. It really is. It, the cloud would you know, cast a shadow and they were to stay within that shadow. And it was just that way of guiding. It wasn't a supernatural force. They didn't wake up every morning. Which way should I plant my tent? Which way should we walk? It was very simple to see. You stay where the shadow was. You know, there's the shadow. Well, I, better, you know, I better move a little bit, you know, if you're on the edge. Stay within that shadow. Stay underneath that covering. And it was within that covering that they were protected from the heat of the sun. And as Christians, we need to seek the Lord. We need to stay where his guidance is. We don't get to take him with us where we want to go and expect his protection. The Israelites didn't get to walk wherever they wanted to walk in the desert, expecting the cloud to follow them. They went where the cloud went. And in that obedience, in that following of the cloud, in that staying under the protection, uh, under his guidance, following his leading, they were protected like a fortress. As Christians, we are protected by God's guidance. We don't want to take anything for granted. We want to pray about everything. And in that guidance that we listen to and obey, God provides protection for us. I want to be protected. I don't want to be out from under his protection. It's when we don't follow his leading, when we follow our own leading, that we're vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And to be careful, and to watch out for that. And so maybe you haven't been asking God lately. Maybe you have been kind of coasting. Maybe you've been thinking, well... I'm a Christian, pretty much go wherever I want to. God is with me. He's in me. You know, um, we're okay. We're not. <laughs> We've got to be led. We've got to go where he wants us to go. We move out from under his protection. He'll definitely leave, he won't leave us. He won't forsake us. But there is a choice. And that choice is to be obedient or not to be obedient. He wants us to. And so he tells them that our fathers were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. And this was all by God's guidance, God's plan, God's provision. And they were protected in that. They all ate the same spiritual food. That was that manna that God provided. They, they didn't have any other source of sustenance. That's what God gave them. That's what sustained them. Later on, we're going to read about, um, in a few minutes, about what happened when they asked for more than what God had provided for them, more than the manna. And they got them into some serious trouble. They stepped out from under his protection. And we'll read that in a minute. But that spiritual food, that manna that God provided was perfect. But they didn't like it. They didn't stick with it. They wanted something other than that. And that's when they got into trouble. Also, it says that we drank, they drank, from the same spiritual drink. They drank from that rock that followed them. And that rock is capitalized. You'll notice that. And that rock was Christ. Really. It's the first time you ever get to see something like that. A little explanation as to what was so big about Moses' transgression. If you remember the story, they were thirsty and they began to complain. God told Moses, take your staff and strike the rock right there and water's going to come out of it and it's going to give all the people water. And he did and they did and it all worked out great. They complained a second time about water and God so told Moses, I want you to speak to that rock and it's going to give out water and they're going to drink. But Moses didn't obey did what he wanted to do, misrepresented God and struck the rock and water came out. The people were taken care of, but they thought God was angry and God was angry, but not at them. He was angry with Moses. You misrepresented me. And because of that transgression, because of Moses' sin, he didn't get to go into the promised land. It was that one act, that one act 
We're thinking, well, what's the big deal? I mean, it's just a rock. It's just water. And Corinthians here, Paul tells us it knows way more than that. It symbolized Christ. Christ being smitten once, struck once, crucified once for all. And from then, if you want the living water to come, you speak. You don't need to crucify Christ over and over and over again. He messed up the picture. He ruined what God was trying to show them in this symbolism. And it needed to be shown. This is the same symbolism he uses in Genesis 22 and Luke 22, where Abraham and Isaac go up on top of Mount Moriah, Mount Calvary, and Jesus later on will go up that same mountain 2,000 years later, prophesying what would take place. Even the wedding that I performed last Saturday, same thing. It's a picture. Our marriages are a picture of what it looks like to see Christ in the church together, forgiving, following, leading, taking the name, uh, losing your identity, all those symbolisms that go along with that. There's a picture that as Christian marriages, we get to live out for everybody else to see, and God doesn't want the picture ruined. Likewise, with this spiritual rock that was Christ, um, they all drank from it. Now it says in verse 5, but with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And that's what happens to us. You may have to go through the wilderness for a time being, but it was just for a time being. It was meant to be about a one month journey for them to travel from Egypt to this promised land, but it ended up being 40 years. The wilderness is ugly and a terrible place to be. And it was something they were supposed to pass through, not for some place they were supposed to dwell in. And as we go through these deserts in our life, as we go through these times, we're supposed to pass through them. We're not supposed to live there. And God will, if we follow his guiding and leading, he will take us through those wilderness times. And he will provide for us during those wilderness times, those dry times. I hear that a lot as Christians. I heard that a lot as I was growing up as a Christian. Oh, I'm just going through a dry season right now. Pray for me. It's a dry season. I'm like, that's part of life. That's part of our walk with the Lord. But they're seasons. That's the good news. It's not a lifestyle. It's a season. Winter's coming. I don't like winter. I mean, I like it. I don't mind it. But it's, it's very dead. It's very, a lot of branches and, and dryness and everything's muted, you know, as opposed to summer when it's bright and green and, you know, flowers and all that. I like that. But we go through those seasons and there is something of value for that season, but I don't have to worry about it. I don't live in Alaska <laughs> where it's winter most of the time. I live in a time and a place where it's seasonal. But these folks didn't take it as a season. They didn't take it as a one-month journey. They found themselves being in rebellion against God, and he's trying to teach the Corinthians this. Those folks didn't just pass through the wilderness. They rebelled against God in the wilderness, decided not to follow his direction, his covering, his protection there, and found themselves scattered there throughout the whole area because they didn't do what God had asked. What had happened was when they came up to the promised land, they came up to the Jordan River, they sent in 12 spies. The 12 spies went in and found out that the land that God was taking them to was a wonderful place to be. And they came back with a different report. Ten of the spies saw only the obstacles, the giant people that lived there, these huge, enormous warriors that lived in the land. They didn't look at the produce. They didn't look at the fruit. I mean, they saw it, but they were so overwhelmed by the obstacles that that's all they saw. And so they came back to God, 10 of them, and said, we can't do it. We need to go back to Egypt. This is a horrible place. God has taken us to a place that we're going to die in and so on. And, and 10 of them convinced the rest of the multitude to not go in. And because of their rebellion, they ended up walking around in the desert 
Guys, majority rule <laughs> isn't a good thing. It isn't. Never has been. Um, because the majority, the, the group, the, uh, the mass, the mob, they can be wrong. We don't want to be that way. As an individual, as a Christian, the body of Christ is made up of individuals. You follow Christ. You do what God's called you to do. You obey him. There may be others telling you that it's impossible or it's a bad idea or I don't think it's a, you should do that. And it is frustrating to hear that sometimes. I know Joshua and uh, Caleb, those are the two, two of the 12 spies that did want to go into the promised land. They're the only two. You can see their frustration in the conversation they had with those 10 they wanted to follow God. They wanted to trust God. They wanted to do what he asked them to do. They wanted to just, this has been an amazing trip. Let's finish it with an exclamation point because that's what it would have been like. The story would have been so much better, you know? And then we went across the, Red, or the, the, the Jordan River and we conquered like God said, like he did in Egypt and so on. And it was amazing, you know? And God wants that story for every one of us. He doesn't want it to just start with God took me out of Egypt he saved me from the world, and I walked with him for a little bit, but then I began to doubt, and I began to mistrust and not stand his protection because I stopped following his guidance. And I found myself wandering in the wilderness for a longer period of time than I should have been there, and I find myself scattered there now. He wants us to finish with an exclamation point. I walked with God. I prayed over everything. I was never confident in my own abilities, in my own wisdom. I never took any circumstance for granted, thinking it was just the same as the last time I was in this situation. I prayed to God about every single thing because I never knew what was around the corner, but God did. His perspective was so much better than mine. I trusted in him, and I waited, and I was was guarded from all these different things. He protected me from so many different things pitfalls and traps that were laid for me. And Paul so desperately wants them to walk that way. Look at our example, he says. Look at those folks that went before us. Don't be like them. Now these things became or became our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. That was their first transgression. They began to lust after the evil things. Remember when they were in Egypt, the nation of Israel said, please get us out of here. Please, God. For years they would pray, God, release us. And he heard their cry. God, the world is beating me down. I find myself being swallowed up. The world makes no sense. My life makes no sense. I don't know why I'm here. In fact, I'm despairing unto death. I'm thinking about suicide. I don't know why I even exist. Help me, God. And God heard their cry and he hears our cry. And he delivers us and brings us out. And we see the world goes from black and white to color, being born again in Jesus Christ. But after walking with him for a while, after they walked with him for a while, began to lust after those evil things again. Our memory is kind of funny that way. We tend to forget how bad it was. We remember only the good things. And sometimes that's a good thing, you know. Sometimes that's okay to let those things go, but not when it comes to sin. Not when it comes to sin. When it comes to sin that God delivers us from, we remember, oh, do you remember all the good times we had at those parties? Do you remember all the good times we had with Bob, Joe, or Fred, or whoever that former boyfriend was that you kind of miss now? Or that girlfriend that was just so awesome, you just remember that? Do you remember why you broke up with her? Do you remember why you broke up with him? Do you remember what they did? Do you remember the heartache they brought you? Well, yeah, but... And the nation of Israel finds himself looking back at Egypt with those same eyes, the same 
beat down that Egypt would give them was forgotten. And all they could remember was the smell of leeks and the onions and the melons that they were missing now that they were walking with the Lord. They missed the, the spices. But those are the evil things. It's in Numbers chapter 11, verses um, 31 through 34, that they begin to complain about the manna. The manna was the bread that would come down from heaven every morning, kind of bland, coriander seed and, and honey is what it tasted like. And I don't know what that really tastes like, but it was kind of like a light cake, basically. And it would just land there on the ground every morning and they would pick it up and eat it. And it was perfect. It was like the perfect food. They didn't eat anything else. But after a while of boiling it and frying it and roasting it, they got a little tired of it. And they began to complain about this worthless bread, they called it. This worthless bread that were miraculously pure every single morning, just enough for them to eat and survive and take care of them. It was worthless to them now, even though it was a very sustaining element that God had given them. They began to lust after those other things and complain and wanted more. And God gave them more. He gave them quail. If you read the story, because I didn't remember it till I read it again. I did the cross-reference, and we could read it tonight, but I'm going to give you a, a synopsis of it. The quail came, but did anybody know where the quail came to? It said it came near their camp. It never came to their camp. It was a day's journey in any direction from their camp. Do you, do you see what's wrong with that picture? You've got a cloud covering. And in order to go get the quail that you so longed for, you had to walk a day's journey outside from under the cloud, from under the protection. And that's a picture for us. Because these evil things are not within God's plan for our lives. They're not under his protection. Those evil things that we desire, that we miss from our old lifestyle, are about a day's journey away from God. Thank goodness. I mean, there's a couple times I could feel myself walking out from under the shadow of God's protection as a born-again believer, and I can feel the heat. I can feel the conviction. I can feel the turnaround, son. You're going the wrong direction. You need to stay where I am. Now, there it is if you want it. It's there. I'm not going to stop you. There's no barriers except my protection is here. My cloud is here. My direction is here. My guidance is here. But that's what you want, and there it's over there. It's been a couple times where I've had enough smarts to turn myself around and say, man, this is way too hot. Be content with what God's given you. Stay with what God has provided for you. Love it. Cherish it. Thank God for it. And I think that's what's missing. A lot of times we just forget to thank God for what he's provided us. We find out what's wrong with it, what it's lacking. It's not exactly the right color. It's not what I thought it was. Whatever. She's missing some pieces I thought she'd have. He doesn't have that character I thought I was getting when I prayed for my husband or for my wife or whatever it may be. Instead of thanking God for what he's blessed you with, people find themselves wandering away from what God's provided for them. And if they feel that heat, they may turn around. That's the blessing. We'll read that here in a little bit. But they didn't. They went out and they got it. They gathered it. And while the well, the meat was still in between their teeth, it says, because they wouldn't chew it. They were, they were so ravenous for this evil that they began to shove it into their faces. 24,000 people. There was a plague that went through. And, and that was always my struggle when I read it. I'm like, why is God so mad? They asked for quail. He gave them quail. As soon as they started eating it, he starts killing them. 
That's one of those things as a pastor, you're kind of like, I don't know how to teach that until you read this. There it is. There's the evil. It's out there. Are you sure you want it? Because it's going to bring you death. It's going to bring death. He always warned him, don't eat of the fruit. It'll bring death. Don't eat that quail. Don't covet and lust after evil things. It's going to bring death. But it's your choice. And so they did. So he warns us, Paul does, don't lust after evil things like they did. Second thing, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Don't become an idolater. This is the story in Exodus 32, 6, when they made the calf. They're up on the mountains getting the laws of God, having fellowship with him. He's burning the top of the mountain. I mean, there's no shortage of God being present, that's for sure. But they got tired of waiting for Moses. They got tired of waiting for the direction, tired of waiting. So they said, just make a calf and let's worship it. It's just easier that way, you know? So they did. They became idolaters. Now, I don't do that. None of us do. I don't think any of us have a calf in our rooms with a couple candles around it, a little shrine. It'd be kind of obvious, but really an idol is anything that we place before God. And I mean in place of first, second, or third. He, God becomes second to this thing, whatever it may be. And we become idolaters and we don't even know it. It becomes more important than worship. It becomes more important than fellowship with God, than prayer, than reading of the word. It becomes more important. It takes priority. Now we sometimes will slap a bumper sticker on the back of this idol that we've washed and babied, thinking that if I put a Jesus fish on the back of it, maybe God will bless this idol. But he doesn't. It's still an idol. It's something that's more important to you than he is. So we guard ourselves against that. Don't rise up to eat, drink, and play with this idol of yours. The second thing, or the third thing, excuse me, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. 24,000 actually, Paul misquotes, but that's okay. We can give him a break. He's going off memory. This fourth thing here, um, after sexual, or the third thing, excuse me, sexual immorality is in Numbers chapter 25. They were in Acacia Grove and they began to worship with the Moabites um, sexually up in the groves, up in the hills and the trees. They began to do what they used to do, um, what the pagans used to do, because it looked fun. It looked fun. The fourth thing, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. That was the deal. That was in Numbers chapter 21, um, verses, uh, uh, verse 4. That's when they load the bread. They tempted him and said, we load this worthless bread which you provided for us. Guys, this Bible's called the bread of life. It's funny how many times food comes up in this little section. There's only five things wrong, but like half of it's about food. Christians just obsess about food. We still do to this day. We obsess about what we eat, what we shouldn't eat, how we should take care of our bodies, and that's fine except for the obsessing part. I hope that we obsess as much as we obsess about food. I hope we obsess as much about how much we take in spiritually, how careful we are about what we put into our spirit, into our soul. We don't just read everything and figure, well, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. That we'd read the ingredients. Then we take a look at the disclaimer, the disclosure at the back of these books. Who is this author? Who made this? How processed is this book that I'm reading, this video that I'm watching? How spiritual is the person that wrote this? 
Are they looking out for my best interest? Are they just trying to sell me a product? Is it another story? We are such... I'm trying to find a Christian word for sucker. And I can't think of one. But we do. We bite on bait. It's the prayer of Jabez book. $9.99 at Walmart. Just watch Walmart. That's a great example. Nothing wrong with Walmart. Well, there is. But go to there, and the Bibles are fine, but then you just look at the, what's the hottest book? And it's the prayer of Jabez this time. And the next thing, it's this. And the next thing, it's this. And the next thing, it's this. Careful. I wish we'd be more, or as careful, I hope we are, maybe we are, as careful as what we put into our spiritual bodies as we are about our physical bodies. And so don't tempt Christ. Be content with the worthless bread that God's given you, which is the Bible, the bread of life. It's not worthless. It's everything, you know. It's got all that you need. Oh, it's boring. It's drab. I read it all the time. This is like my 10th time through it. Then read it again. And every morning it'll be fresh. And every evening it'll be fresh. And you'll have enough for today. Tomorrow, nope. You got to read it again if you want some more because it won't stick. Last night's, Bible study, yesterday's quiet time isn't enough for today. You have to go to it again and get some more because it's fresh and new. Yesterday's just mildewed and hopefully eaten and digested and assimilated and has affected every part of your body like food does. The final thing, the fifth thing was, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. destroyer. They complained again, about the food. They actually said, God has brought us out into the desert to kill us, to die. Why must we be out there? They begin to complain about it. And I don't want to be a complainer. I find myself complaining more and more as I get older. I'm only 48. So I better stop it now before I get 80. I'm going to be one crotchety old man in a nursing home. It's interesting. You go to nursing homes and there's just... There's just two, basically two different kinds there. Full of joy or full of bitterness. Full of joy or full of bitterness. And I have a decision to make now. Because when Alzheimer's kicks in on me, I'm going to just be stuck at whatever I left myself off at, I figure. I won't know any of you, but I'll, I'll know Jesus, hopefully. I'll know Jesus. And you know that's interesting? You go to the Alzheimer's unit, they know Jesus and they know Scripture and they know the songs. They don't know who their son is but they know the Lord. It's amazing. I want to be that guy, you know. Happy birthday to who? Yeah, well, Jesus. Yeah, let's just talk about Jesus. I don't know why we're all here, but who you people are, but I love God, and I, if you do too, we're, we're relatives, you know, must be. No complaining. Guard yourself from that complaining. We can find ourselves there, and it destroys. Um, it affects everything. Now, all these things happen to them as examples, And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. This is for us to read and to learn from. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't be content because you've gone through so much in Jesus, so many situations in Christ. You've pretty much been through it all, maybe you thought, that you just figure you can coast and every situation is the same as the last time. And I'm going to, you know, experience, I'm just an experienced Christian. He warns us, if Paul, the apostle of apostles, wrote this, don't 
think you can stand on your own. It's basically what he's saying. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Take heed. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way, the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, he never gives us more than we can bear. He just said that. All sin is common or all temptation is common. Everybody goes through that. That's not uncommon to be tempted. Don't think yourself bizarre or strange. But pay attention for the out. <coughs> pay attention for the way out. There is a, a final commitment. I think the best example I can think of is a roller coaster. I remember as a kid, everybody wanted me to go on the roller coasters as soon as I was at the right height. And I, I have a funny feeling when I go on swings. <laughs> I come on that, the back swing's fine. It's that forward swing. I'm just like, <clears throat> just as a, and I'm not going to describe the region that I feel that in, but it's very tight and tense and uncomfortable and I hate it. And so a roller coaster is a nightmare for me. Now I'll do it now because my kids love roller coasters. But when I was a kid, 11, I remember them. We paid all this money to come in here, you know, uncle so-and-so, come on, go on the rides. I, I don't like them. Go on them anyway. And I remember going through that snake line waiting and waiting and waiting to go on the roller coaster. And you come to the biggest roller coaster at the park, and there's the escape line right there. Oh, I so wanted to get out of there. I so wanted to escape that. I so wanted to just, it was, it was exactly, it was a perfect sign. Escape. I did. I wanted to escape. I was absolutely petrified to go on this ride. Hated it. But peer pressure. And you pass that line, and now it's, it's gone. That opportunity's left. I'm committed. Especially when they strap you in and everybody's lined up and they've already pulled on your harness to make sure it's solid. And you're like, I want to escape, you know? Now the escape line was back there and there's one opportunity for escape. And after that, you're committed to the ride. Guys, as Christians, God always provides that escape route and you read it and he makes it legible and clear and you know it and you pass it on purpose. Nobody ever finds themselves sitting in the roller coaster saying, I didn't know I could get out of this. I didn't know. No, it's always legible. God always marks it clearly, but there is usually, most of the time, one opportunity for escape. And if you pass that opportunity for escape, folks, when it comes to sin, you're in for the ride. All of it. The feeling, the vomiting, all of it. And so Paul tells him that very clearly, very simply. Guys, take that way of escape. You may have gotten in line. You wish you hadn't of. God will always provide a way of escape for you. Just don't get in it. Don't get in sin. Take that way of escape. Flee. That's the very next thing he says. Therefore, my beloved, and he puts that in there for a purpose. I'm not trying to keep you from fun. I'm not trying to ruin your life. It's because I love you. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to run. It's just a flat-out run. You may look foolish, you may feel foolish, but you just got to run. I've been in a couple situations like that with my friends. Here, we're going to go do this. The night started off fine. The intention was not to sin. 
We were going to do this, that, or the other thing, and that's all we were going to do. And all of a sudden, I find their minds going in a different direction. As a Christian, I felt myself saying, you need to go home now because this is not going to be, you do not want to bring Christ on this ride. And I had to decide, am I going to look foolish and say, guys, just let me off here. I'll find my way home. And then, you know, get all the questions and all that. And I did. I took the escape. I took the route. And they were fine. They made it back to the barracks just fine. But they had stories to tell of all the tales and all the things they went through. And I was so thankful. It was a real tough decision at the time to decide to not go along with them, but to get, find my own way home. I just fled from it. I left the night. I left it and went back to the boring barracks. I mean, you have second thoughts about it while you're there until they show up and they tell you all the things that went on, how many people they ran from, the MPs, how they had to run from them, the camp guard they called them at the time. And I'm like, oh, man, so glad. Guys, sometimes you're just fleeing. Joseph fled. Joseph was in Potiphar's house, and that woman would constantly hound him, lie with me, lie with me, lie with me, until finally she grabbed onto his coat, and you know what he did? He just ran. Left this coat behind and just ran. Sometimes that's what you have to do. Do it. <laughs> you will never regret running from sin. You may have that moment of decision that may be a hard decision to make, but once you make that decision, you commit to it, you run and you flee, you'll never, ever regret running from sin. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ, or is it not the, blood, the communion of the blood of Christ? Of course it is. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Of course it is. These are rhetorical questions. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Now, we don't necessarily understand this lingo because it's very Jewish. I mean, we, we have Purell on carabiners hooked to our purses. <laughs> We're very clean people. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's wise, you know, um, in a lot of situations for the most part. But for them, there's no such thing as Purell. I mean, when you sat down for a meal, You've got one sop bowl in the middle and everybody's breaking off from the same loaf and sopping and there's floaties in the sop bowl. Boy, when you were done eating, you were assimilated. <laughs> you were all one. And they understood that. We don't get that. It's just double dipping is just a no-no in the United States, you know. But they didn't have a problem with it. And so he was saying, when you have that communion time, when you take the bread and you take the juice and you, or the wine and you drink and eat together with one cup and one loaf of bread, by the time you're done, you are assimilated. And they knew that. That's why they wouldn't eat with Gentiles. That's why they wouldn't eat with certain people, sinners, all that. Because they knew that if they ate, they partook of whatever they, you, it's as if you'd done it. That's how serious it was. So when he says this to them, they get this. When you eat that bread and you drink that juice of, of, that represents the body and blood of Christ, you are becoming one with the creator of the universe. And they got that. And that was super special. That's a meal that they don't understand why he wants to eat with them. They get that. They understood that Jesus should not be at our table. Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't he know that he's polluting himself? It was so amazing to them to see that. It was so offensive to them to see that. At the same time, they so wanted it, you know? And so Paul's simply reminding these Jewish folks of that. Don't you know that when you do this, you're assembling, you're, you're one with him? So why do those other things? 
you have the chance to be one with the creator of the universe, to be one with the Father, to be one with the Holy Spirit, to be one with the Son of God. There's nothing better. Verse 18, observe Israel after the flesh are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar. In other words, it laid on the altar, so if they eat it, didn't they partake of the stuff that was on the altar? Again, the same idea. The five-second rule. <laughs> Maybe that's the best way to describe it for Americans. It hit the floor. You know, if you stick it in your mouth, you basically ate what was on the floor or what people walked on when they walked on that floor. You know, we don't think of that. Did they have a dog? You know, you be careful about that. This is the idea. What am I saying then, Paul says, that an idol is anything or what is offered to an idol is anything? No. Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of demons, um, sorry, the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Can't do that. I'm just going to switch some things up here and I'll explain it all at the same time. Okay. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one uh, the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Now, wait a minute. Didn't he just say, don't eat, right? Because that's offered up to idols. So don't eat of that. Let me put a, some understanding on there. You, you've got to be led of the Holy Spirit. If a guy walks up to you and says, here's a piece of meat, I bought it from Zeus's temple, I offered it to Zeus, Christian, I know you're a Christian, and I'm offering you this beautiful steak that was offered up to Zeus, want some? It's at that point you look at him and say, no thank you, I worship the Lord, I don't worship Zeus. Because that person was trying to get, and you can have the exact same conversation with a different twist. Hi, Bob, the Christian, I know you're a Christian, um... All I have is this steak, um, but I wanted to disclose it was offered up to Zeus. I'm sorry. That's all I have. It was before I was saved. It's all we had left in the freezer. Would you like to eat it? Of course I would. Of course I'd be happy with having some of that food. Two different things, right? The one is trying to see if their God is as good as your God or makes no difference. All roads leads to heaven, Zeus, God the Father, whatever. You'll compromise. You love steak. The other person is humble, and that's all they have to set before you, and you eat whatever's placed in front of you, covering it with prayer. And he's going to read that here in a minute. Do you see the difference? You've got to be filled with the Spirit, because it won't be as obvious as that all the time. I made it very obvious tonight, very easy to understand. This guy's testing me. <laughs> I'm going to pass. This guy's humble. He's a great guy. It won't always be that obvious. You've got to be led of the Spirit on these things. All things are lawful. Of course you can eat the food, but you shouldn't for the sake of conscience. And here he goes into to explain all that. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. You can see in both situations that I gave you, he was looking out. The answer was for that person. You think your God is as good as mine? I'm teaching you he's not. And I won't eat of that because I love my God. The second person, on the other hand, I'm looking out for your best interest. You're humble, you're broken. That's all you have. Of course I will. I'm not distant from you. Jesus is near. He's at your... He's, a, he's, he's right there for you, okay? Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's 
and all its fullness. In other words, nothing can be tainted. It's all God's. You can offer it to whomever you want. It's still made by the Lord. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. It's not about you. It's about them. It's for their sake that you don't eat. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken? Why, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, and here's the key, because we all love laws, we all love rules, but he's not going to give us one. He's going to give us a principle instead, a principle to live by. Give no offense, I'm sorry, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's a principle. I do it for the glory of God. Can I do this for the glory of God? If I can, great. If I can't do it for the glory of God, then no. The answer is no. It's a principle. I don't have to be given every situation. I don't have to have the law and the Mishnah, which was volumes of books written about each law so that it could be very, very you know, carefully covered all situations and scenarios. No, but he gives us a simple principle, a law of love. Can I do this to bring God glory or can't I? If I can't, then I don't want it. Give no offense either to the Jew or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. It's a principle. Is this person going to get saved if I accept his humble apology that all he has is meat offered to Zeus and he doesn't want to hurt, my, you know, hurt me, so he discloses it, of course I'm going to eat. And that guy is totally lifted up and totally feels loved and understands that this is great and that your God is greater than this God and you can eat stuff offered to Zeus and it doesn't even matter, does it? This is awesome. As the other person says, wow, this guy's got a lot of convictions. He won't even eat the meat offered to Zeus even though it's a prime cut. Both are edified. Both are done for the glory of God. One showed him that God was very accessible. The other one showed him that God is great and awesome and not to be messed with. You know, We've got to be led of the Spirit. And so God gives us a principle here. Paul gives us a principle here to live by. Can we bring God glory? And that's where we close tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's heart for the Corinthian church. He doesn't just write them off as a bunch of carnal Christians, but he takes the time to teach them to show them, to explain to them what they're doing is wrong and here's a better way to do it. Here's the right way to do it. He gives them a principle. He takes the time to teach. And I thank you for that, God. Now, it's completely up to the students whether they listen to him or not. We know that there was a second letter written to the Corinthian church. So they must have received the first one and they had some more teaching and training, but they were teachable. God, help us to be teachable. Help us not to become old, crusty Christians that know it because we're experienced, but that we're always soft and pliable, always teachable, Lord. Thank you for teaching us tonight. Thank you for your Holy Spirit bringing your word into our hearts and changing us and changing our ideas about certain things and even maybe giving us direction tonight. Lord, help us to stay under the shadow of your protection. Actually, it's the shadow of your guidance which offers protection. Help us to stay there in your counsel, listening to your... Um, 
wisdom and help us to stay at the center of that shadow, not on the edges, at the center. Help us not to lust after evil things. Help us not to commit adultery and fornication, Lord. Help us to not tempt you. Help us to stay content with what you've blessed us with, to give thanks for what you've given us, Lord, and to, uh, Lord, continue to grow in you, to go through these seasons of dryness, um, but let them be seasons, God. Help us not to um, be scattered here in these places, God, but brought through them to the promised land. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.